Have you ever realized that sometimes it's hard to do the right thing? Even though you're a Christian and, and you've been following God and you read your Bible, temptation still comes. It's not always easy to do the right thing. I heard a story once of a lady who uh, had come to church and the ushers were coming down the aisle and she's fumbling through her purse trying to find her checkbook. Yes. If you are this tall and under, you are dismissed. Thank you, guys. We're going to put something... I, I, this isn't even a joke. We're actually going to start putting something on the screen that dismisses the kids because I don't think I'm ever going to remember to do that. So... We just uh, realize areas where we're weak and, and try and make up from that. So next week we'll, hopefully next week, we'll have something on the screen before the sermon that dismisses the kids. Um, anyways, I was telling a story of a lady. She's fumbling through her purse as the ushers are coming down the aisle trying to find her checkbook. And all of a sudden the TV remote falls out into the middle of the aisle. And the usher goes, hey, uh, do you usually bring the remote with you on Sunday? She said, no, but my husband wouldn't come to church today, and I decided this is the worst thing I could do to him. <laughs> Sometimes it's not easy to do the right thing, and we respond in, in ways that we shouldn't. This morning, instead of reading through the passage, it's a long portion of Scripture. Instead of reading through it once in the beginning and going through it again, we're going to work through it at one time. Um, but before that, I, I want to read what Paul writes in Romans 7. This is before we get to Ephesians this morning. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Even though we are a new creation, we see here in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We talk about being a born-again believer, born into this new life. But we know what Paul writes, that the old man, while we're still here on this earth, our sinful nature, what we will sometimes call the old man, still rears his ugly head, still presents himself in your life. We still struggle with sin and temptation as long as we're here on this earth. Now, Paul has been writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's been saying, this is who you are. This is how God worked in your life before the foundation of the world. Here's this, here's that. Positionally, here's how you are before Christ. And this morning, he begins to talk about our old nature and our new nature. He begins to talk about the old man and the new man. So here we go. Ephesians 4, verse 17. And we're actually going to work halfway through chapter 5 this morning. Uh, if you notice, we didn't have 
any videos or stuff like that today is this is this is quite a passage of scripture it's it's a lot to work through and um instead of keeping you here through lunch i thought we'll we'll keep going this morning Ephesians 4.17 says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and greedy and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So, so Paul has been talking about how you are a new person in Jesus Christ. And basically, listen, you are new in Christ. You must not live the way that the world does. The message paraphrases it. And, and here's what, here's what uh, Eugene Peterson wrote as a paraphrase. He said this, And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go into sexual obsession, addicted to every kind of perversion. That is the world. Don't live that way. This doesn't mean that the world isn't able to be creative or smart, but instead they don't see God. And if you watch TV at all, if you turn on the news, I think sometimes, at least I do, I sit there and I say, how can people not understand how evil this is? How wicked this is? How depraved this is? You know, they estimate that in the United States there's about 600,000 plus legal abortions that happen every year. Talk about losing touch with reality. But see, that's the world. That's not supposed to be us. We're supposed to be different. You're a new creation. The scripture talks about how how the, the world is blinded. But you and I are not. And we can share the truth and the love of Jesus with people. In the world, the dollar speaks louder than love. Pleasure speaks louder than faithfulness. The world is addicted to every sort of impurity. That is the old man. That should not be you and I. Because when you give your life to Jesus, there has to be a change. This isn't fire insurance. There has to be a change. Paul then says that these things were not Christ. Look at the world and, and, and how lost the world is. But that's not Jesus. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through, de through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old man and put on the new. 
Have you ever uh, switched coats before? Maybe you were going to wear a certain coat out and you decided, you know, I don't want to wear that coat. I'm going to wear this coat. Take off the old man and put on the new. See, the old man is everything that we were in Adam. It's our sinful nature. It's our sinful desires. Everything that we were before coming to Christ, that's the old man. And you know, each and every one of us has that old nature. No matter how long you've been studying the Word of God here on this earth, how long you've been a Christian, how mature you are in your faith, we all still have that old nature in us that that still tempts us. But see, if you were a believer this morning, that old man was crucified with Christ. Verse 3 of it as well as my soul is, is one of my favorite verses of all songs out there. And here's what it says. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. See, this means that we are to deny the desires of our heart. To pursue holiness. The truth is that temptation exists. It will exist until we are one day with God in glory. You know, oftentimes we make excuses about temptation. And if you will uh, watch the world, they'll make excuses as to why things that are evil are right. Um, It's hard. I struggle with this. I'm sad. I'm overwhelmed. I'm attracted to this. I like this. This feels right. And we can make a million excuses, but none of them justify sin. Take off the old self and put on the new. And so the question then comes is, how do we do that? You know, Paul, you're saying that this is who we were. This is how we should not live our lives. How do we put on the new man? Jesus says in Luke 9.23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And he said to all, If any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We deny ourselves. We deny the temptation that calls your name. Whether it be drunkenness, sexual sin, pride, gossip, lying, you deny it. No matter how right it might feel or how easy it might seem, you deny it. Daily. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why do we tell the truth? Did you ever wonder that? Why do we tell the truth? Sometimes it would seem a lot easier to lie, wouldn't it? (laughs) It it would eliminate some uncomfortable feelings. Um, Might get you out of trouble, or at least seem that way. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Here, talking about our corporate body, we must tell each other the truth. Why? Because we're one body. 
Imagine, for me with, imagine with me for a moment that my eyes, part of my body, see this step. And my eyes don't communicate the truth to my feet. And so my feet walk as if there is no step and I fall and I hurt myself. I read one illustration that said, imagine your hand puts, you put your hand on a hot stove. And your brain doesn't tell your hand, get off. Your hand gets severely burned. We tell the truth because we are one of the reasons. Because we are one body and we need each other. See, I need you to tell me and you need me to tell you the truth. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Not dealing with anger gives Satan an opportunity in our lives. And if you've ever held a grudge, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And not only does it lead to anger, but it can lead quickly to pride and it can lead to gossip. It can lead to other things that are extremely Extremely dangerous, as is anger. In verse 26, Paul says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's up to you. That's up to me. I remember as we were going through premarital counseling, Sarah and I, uh, the, the people that we were working with were talking about this verse. And, and they said, you know, it doesn't mean that we stay up all night fighting. <laughs> right? I mean, that's not you guys, right? You never disagree with your spouse. But it doesn't mean that we stay up all night fighting. What it means is that there comes a point where we say to each other, okay, we don't agree on this right now, but I love you, and I'm going to go to sleep. Okay? And, and we'll talk about this tomorrow, but the anger's gone. That's not right, and it shouldn't be in this scenario. Right? So let me encourage you. Don't stay up till 3 in the morning. Forgive and talk about it the next day. Holding on to anger does nothing. And, and usually the later you stay up, and this shouldn't be, this isn't a marriage counseling session, but usually the later you stay up at night, the worse it gets, right? So go to sleep. Go to sleep. But we see here the principle that Paul is saying, don't hold on to anger. Don't let the sun go down on it because it gives Satan a foothold in your life, in your marriage, at your job. It is destructive. Do not hold on to it as a believer. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let all bitterness, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. We talked about the Holy Spirit being our seal back when we first started this for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Paul gives us at least eight different things here. He says, speak the truth. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Whatever you are doing, if, make sure that you do something that is righteous. Don't steal. Instead, put it to use for the kingdom. 
No corrupt talk. Get rid of all wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Be kind, be tenderhearted, and forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now that sounds like this high, lofty standard of living, and the reality of it is. See, when we became a new creation, it wasn't, hey, listen, you're a new creation now. Go ahead and live a little bit sinfully. What does Jesus say to those he meets in Scripture? He says, go and sin no more. That's the standard of our life is that we do not sin. We know we will. Because while we're here on this earth, the old man still rears his ugly head. But we're living lives in pursuit of that righteousness. We surrender daily to the Spirit of God. We deny ourselves because you know what? Sometimes myself, when it's Tony, I don't want to be kind. Because that person wasn't kind to me. Sometimes when it's Tony, I'm not ready to forgive right away. Sometimes when it's Tony, I do things I don't want to do. But that's the old man. And that's not how we should live our lives. And we ask God to work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that we can live lives according to what Paul is writing in Ephesians 4. But then he takes it to a whole new level in Ephesians 5 and he says this, be imitators of God. Can you imitate God? As beloved children, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says this, But as he who called you is holy, you also, you also be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Can we imitate God? But Paul is saying here that we should imitate him as beloved children. You know, Nehemiah, as, as he continues to grow up, the more we continue to see how much he loves to copy things that we do. Right? Good things or bad things. Right? So we'll sit down. I love to watch Chelsea play soccer. It's my favorite soccer team. I watch them almost every week if time allows. And we'll sit there, and sometimes if he's awake and he's not napping, he'll sit there with me, and he goes, go Chelsea! Right? I don't do that. I don't sit on my couch and go, go Chelsea. But he does. But when they score a goal, see, I, I was, uh, Latin America, South America is very passionate about, well, just about everything, but especially soccer. Especially soccer. My grandfather is English. My grandmother was Irish, Welsh, English. They're also very passionate about soccer. And so I grew up with that. As a matter of fact, uh, there comes a point in the game where my granddad would refer to it as being standing time. And it's when the game is really close and you stand up for the last 40 minutes of the game by your TV, like this. Okay, well, that, that I inherited that, right? And so I'm the same way as I'm watching different sports games. But I've noticed, so, so Chelsea scores a goal, and it goal, yes! And Nehemiah goes, goal! And our dog barks and runs around the house. <laughs> but children imitate, don't they? They imitate. One time, they missed something, and I was sitting beside a wall, and I went, oh, man! A little bit later, Nehemiah went, oh, I'm going to sit over here. 
imitate God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, all that Paul has been talking about up until this point, the different ways of living our lives, the things that we should do, that we should say, how we should act, it all points us to being imitators of God. The ultimate standard. One that while we're on this earth, we will never reach in perfection. Because we will make mistakes. But that's the standard. That's the goal. That's the prize that we keep our eyes fixed on. And it's not a legalistic thing. So if I asked you the question this morning, if people talk about you, and talk about your walk, talk about who you are, how would they describe you? What's the first thing that would come to their mind? Man, that, that person, that person is just such a loving person. They never say anything wrong about anybody. Oh, that guy, he, he has a temper. <laughs> well, you can't tell her anything. What do people say about you? We're to be imitators of God and we're to walk in love. And my goodness, if we were able to surrender daily to the Spirit and live this way, how do you think our testimony would be in our community? And I'm not just preaching to you this morning, I'm preaching to myself too. So, so please don't think of this as, as me coming down on you. This is what Paul's writing to us, to the church in Ephesus. And then he goes on to talk about what our walk should look like. And he says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints, saints being all believers. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. See, if you're a new creation in Jesus, this is how we should strive to live. We look at the world, we see the world, we see what people deem as successful and entertainment and this and that, and it's easy for us to get trapped into thinking that is correct, but God holds a different standard. It's amazing to look at Scripture and see how much Scripture transcends time and culture. Sexual immorality was rampant in Paul's time, as it was in the Old Testament, as it is today. Foolish talk existed in Paul's time, as it does today. The world continues to deal with the same sins, However, we have different avenues of accessing them now, don't we? Cyberbullying is a huge one today. Your kids have cell phones, iPads, and other kids tear them down with foolish talk. As believers, we have to live 
in the new man. Daily surrendering to the Spirit. Paul says in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. At one point in your life, you were in the darkness. You were lost. At once I was blind, but now I can see. Don't live in the darkness anymore. Let your light shine in the darkness. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Charles Spurgeon writes this, The sleepiness in the Christian is exceedingly dangerous too, because he can do a great deal while he is asleep that will make him look as if he were quite awake. You know, there's this thing that I like to refer to sometimes as, as our Sunday morning face, right? Our Sunday morning face, and as Christians, we're so good at it. We're so good at it. And, and it's that you live a certain way Monday to Saturday, but on Sunday morning, see, that's the Lord's day. And I'm going to act differently on Sunday than I act the rest of the week. And, and not even that, but I'm going to put a different mask on when I come to church on Sunday morning than what I wear the rest of the week. See, we can, we can be asleep and do a lot of things, can't we? People walk in their sleep, talk in their sleep, laugh in their sleep. That's pretty creepy if you ever hear someone laugh in their sleep. You're just kind of sitting there and you're, ha, 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 People can do a lot of things while they're asleep. We're told to be awake, to be aware Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The idea that the days are evil speaks of how at one point the Lord's time of grace for the people on this earth will be over. There comes a point where there will be no more choices that are able to be made by men. Where the opportunity to say yes to salvation will now be gone because time has run out. You and I draw breath today. We have the opportunity to tell a dark world about the light. We have the opportunity to shine light into darkness. You know, one of the amazing things about darkness is it doesn't take much light to stand out, does it? I know being in the jungle, we would go out and, and go on different trips and we'd be camping and my goodness, just a little light took away so much of the darkness. And as the world continues to grow darker, you and I have the opportunity to shine brighter. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Bible contrasts being drunk with wine to being filled with the Spirit. Now, a very interesting comparison. When someone is drunk, they lose control. When someone is filled with the Spirit, when you deny yourself and allow the Spirit to work in you, that's the best you can ever be. You can't be better than that. When you've denied yourself and allowed the Spirit who is alive in you to fill you and to work, you cannot be more alive, more awake, more aware. But being drunk with wine leads the opposite. It leads to a loss of control. This isn't referring to the Holy Spirit coming upon you again. See, we already have the Holy Spirit in us. However, we have the choice in our lives of how much we want to let the Holy Spirit work. We're not robots. God's given us that privilege. And at times in our life, we compartmentalize the Holy Spirit. You can stay in this part of my heart, but I have all this other stuff going on. I don't want you over there because this is messy and wrong, and I know it's wrong, but I don't want you there. See, because, because this is the new part of my heart, and this is still the old part of my heart, and, and I just don't want to surrender the old yet. But see, God wants all of us. For our light to shine brighter, we must surrender our whole hearts to Him. That was quite a passage. Thanks for sticking with me this morning. I, I know it was a lot, and uh, there's so much more that we could have touched on. We're really working to uh, finish the book of Ephesians by Thanksgiving um, as we kind of go into the Christmas season and have a little bit of a new series starting then as well. Um, but, but let me encourage you with something as, before we go to communion here. At the very end, in verse 19, it says, Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As, as we go today, as you leave, after communion, after we sing our final song, ask yourself this question. And maybe as you eat lunch today, does my life, preach Christ to other people? Does my life preach Christ to other people? See, our lives should preach Christ, they should glorify Christ in such a way that that's just who we are. As you continue to grow in the Spirit, continue to deny yourself, Paul says that we are to Praise the Lord and, and different types of song, but we, we are, what comes out of our mouth should be praise for God. As he talked about before, to, to the glory of God, he's the one who deserves all of the glory. 
in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This morning, we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And communion is, is always a time where, personally, I like to sit down and reevaluate my life and think through, man, Lord, search the innermost parts of my heart and tell me if there's any offensive way in me. Make it clear that I can make it right with you. How easy is it for us to make mistakes and to never really deal with them? Today we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross at Calvary. The, he, the sacrifice that he made so that we have the opportunity to put off the old man and put on the new. The sacrifice that he made so that we have hope in eternity. At Mount Vernon, communion is something that we believe is for all believers. And you don't have to be a member here. You don't have to have attended here before. Um, but we ask that you are a believer if you're going to partake of communion. Communion doesn't save you. It's not salvation. It's something we do remembering the sacrifice that Christ made. And we do it together as a body. Because as Paul has written about again and again and again and again and again, we are one family and we are one body. I'd like to ask the elders to come to the front. In just a moment, Bethany is going to uh, come up and begin playing. And, and what I would like to encourage you is that you spend a couple of moments talking to the Lord. Before you stand up, there isn't a special pew that has to get up and come first, um, but that you spend a couple of moments talking to the Lord. Ask Him to truly reveal anything in your heart that you're keeping from Him. and Make it right. And once you feel comfortable, would you please come forward and partake of the elements and take them back to your seat and hold them until we all have the opportunity to take them together. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning, as we remember your sacrifice, Lord, that you would reveal to us things in our lives that were of the old man. Father, we're sorry for those things. And we thank you for your forgiveness. First Corinthians eleven seventeen to thirty four. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Let's eat together. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that was made. Father, we, we are so aware that we were undeserving. And we thank you that because of the sacrifice of Christ, we can now call ourselves part of the family of God. That those who have put their trust in Jesus, we are part of one body, one family. Lord, we praise you for that. In Jesus' name.